Hi guys, and welcome back to There I Read It, where I am reading the Harry Potter books for the first time in my life. And today we are in chapter six of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which is entitled Gilderoy Lockhart. And this chapter is basically about the first day back at Hogwarts, where they're in their regular schedule and meeting some of their new teachers for the first time. So to jump right into my notes... Hermione is at the Gryffindor table reading Voyages with Vampires, which is by Gilderoy Lockhart. And I realized that is such like a crazy interesting title that I decided to go back and recheck the titles of the books that they were supposed to get for this year's classes. Let's see, here we go. On page 43, if you have the original, I guess, kind of copy of the book. Okay, so Lockhart's books are Break with a Banshee, Gadding with Ghouls, Holidays with Hags, Travels with Trolls, Voyages with Vampires, Wanderings with Werewolves, and Year with the Yeti. So they're all, they all have all this alliteration in the title. And I guess that's sort of part of the Gilderoy experience is that he's very polished and he's he's very much like a packaged explorer type of wizard or at least that's how he's marketed. So I feel like out of all of the wizards and witches we've seen so far that Lockhart is definitely the only one who has like a brand. Like he is a product. He's out there to be sold and and he loves every second of it. And I don't know that I love him as a character but I, I kind of respect that level of hustle. The book then mentions that Neville has a horrible memory, but I'm curious if there's any kind of reason for that. Again, if you're leaving me any kind of notes, please uh, try to be very careful about not leaving spoilers because, again, I've never read this and I'm trying to sort of experience it like a normal person while also sharing the journey along the way. So I'm trying to stay spoiler free. So anything past chapter six of book two, don't tell me yet. Then it is mail time where all the owls come rushing in and Errol shows up, uh, which is Ron's owl, and he collapses, which again, and I mentioned this over the last chapter, since Errol is still the Weasley's very much functional working owl, or at least quote unquote functional, I mean, he's barely getting there and back. But then why did the Weasleys keep turning around when they were headed for the train to go home and get, well, Fred forgot this, George forgot this, Ginny forgot this. Like, get an owl and send it to them when they're already at school. Don't be late for school over, you know, I forgot got this nonsense. But, you know, thinking more about Errol, it occurred to me that the Weasleys, like, they come off kind of messy and a little bit trashy, but I think that's because they really see a value in everything, and it's almost illustrated in their fondness for Harry, and especially when you compare that to the way his biological blood relative Petunia feels about him. Like, Petunia kind of sees Harry as unwanted trash, and the Dursleys are over there like, we love trash! Get over here, kid! And of course, Harry is famous in the wizarding world, so that that makes a difference, I'm sure. But I, I don't know, I feel like they're the kind of people who would be that level of, you know, sweet and welcoming and, hey, you're part of the family now because you're in front of us. I, I think that's just them. I think that's Arthur and Molly Weasley, and I, I kind of adore them for that. But it turns out that Errol is not there to deliver a package, but he's there to give Ron a howler, which is a note that screams at a hundred times amplification of what the person's normal screaming voice would be. So 
it is shaking plates, rattling walls, you know, hurting people's ears. And of course, it is Molly Weasley flipping her crap at her son for just stealing that car. And apparently he has gotten his father an inquiry at work because obviously working for the Ministry of Magic and knowing you're not supposed to have enchanted muggle artifacts is a bit of a problem for somebody in his position. And Molly warns Ron that if he puts one toe out of line, that she is gonna rip him out of Hogwarts. Which actually makes a problem later because Ron tries to fix his wand himself with something called Spello Tape, and it's not really working and the wand is glitchy and smoky and sparking, but he's afraid to ask his mother for a replacement and tell her that his wand is snapped because, I mean, he knows he's done so wrong that she's just gonna be like, it's your own fault, deal with it. Which is not an unfair position to take, might I add. Then McGarnagle comes and gives the kids their schedule for the year, and the first class is doubled up with Hufflepuff, and it is Professor Sprout with Herbology. And Gilderoy Lockhart is there, who who is just... I don't know, more flashy and pompous than I thought of him before. So even though it felt like he was sort of an overacting attention seeker, I mean, it's just really amped up to a whole new level in this chapter. But Professor Sprout has been injured by trying to, it looks like, bandage up the Whomping Willow. So Harry feels really bad. And he also feels really bad about what's going on with Arthur Weasley because, uh, yeah, he knows it's kind of his fault. Like, man, these people were good to me and I, I just totally blew up their life. Uh, I hope it works out. But Lockhart kind of pulls Harry aside and he's like, listen, I know that it's really hard to get a taste of fame and then really, you know, get that high off of it and want another one. But you you shouldn't be flying magical cars to try and get attention and get in the newspaper. Like, that's the wrong way to do it, sonny boy. And Harry tries to tell Lockhart, like, no, no, that's not what happened. But Lockhart won't hear it because he's already created his own version of the truth. So in Lockhart's mind, the whole flying car thing was for publicity. It had nothing to do with the platform not working or it being an emergency. It, it was just that Harry wanted to be in the paper, according to Lockhart. And Lockhart, while talking to Harry, really downplays how well-known and famous Harry is. He's like, oh, a few people know about you because of the whole Voldemort thing. But Harry's still far less famous than Lockhart because Lockhart won Most Charming Smile five times in a row from some witch magazine. Which again further reinforces the whole thing that he has a brand and a persona that he's selling to people. And again, as a vlogger myself, you gotta respect that level of hustle. But then Harry goes back to class and Sprout is having them repot mandrakes in greenhouse number three, which is the greenhouse that has interesting and dangerous plants. And when Sprout asks if anyone knows what a mandrake is, of course, Hermione's hand shoots right up. Uh, she tells us that mandrakes are restorative, especially for transfigured or cursed people. But then Hermione also knew that a mandrake's cries could be fatal, which was 10 more points for Gryffindor. So with the screaming issue being fatal, or at least for the small plants like they were working with, it would knock you out for the day. Uh, they had to wear these earmuffs, which are apparently the best earmuffs ever because they completely shut off all sound when every other pair I've had are just really chintzy, not blocking out any kind of noise here. It's disappointing to be a muggle. There's also another plant mentioned called a venomous tentacula, which is teething. 
And I feel like that might pop up again later. It seemed like a strange little thing to just throw out there for no reason. And then the kids break down to groups of four and they're trying to repot the mandrakes. So they're taking them out of a smaller pot and putting them into a larger one so they can keep growing. And it's when they get jerked out of their pot that there's this little baby under the roots that's just screaming its head off. I guess it just likes being in the dark, cold, dank, wet mud. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what its deal is, but it does not like being on the surface. But because they're in groups of four, Hermione, Ron, and Harry end up with a workmate from Hufflepuff, which I think this is the first Hufflepuff we've gotten to interact with. His name is Justin Finch Fletchley. And Justin was supposed to go to a school called Eaton, Eaton, which is a non-magical school from how he's described it. I'm not sure if England would have a whole other version of Hogwarts. Like, is there like, I don't know, a, a hog saddle? I, I don't know, hog saddle where they can also go to school. I know in general, there are other magical schools in different countries, but I, I don't know if England has any others than Hogwarts. But after that class is over, it is sort of hinted at that Hermione has a little crush going on with Lockhart. She's got little hearts written around all of his lessons. So much like all the middle-aged women, such as Molly Weasley, Hermione seems to have a little thing for Lockhart too. Which, I mean, that's part of his brand. That's part of what he's selling is this sort of sexy, mystique, dangerous, bad boy, James Bond type of the wizarding world. So I, I, I can see it. I can see where everybody he's like an old Leonardo DiCaprio or something like that like everybody just loves him back in his day but do people still like Leonardo DiCaprio is that is that I know that's got to be a hugely dated reference but do people still like him at all he was like the number one heartthrob when I was a little middle schooler so um yeah he's really the only one I I know about or remember <laughs> couldn't tell you who's popular now so I'm an old lady and then a little first year kid named Colin Creevy kind of wanders in with Harry Ron and Hermione and he wants a picture with Harry to send back to his dad who I, I took from the context that Colin Creevy is from a muggle family because he said his dad is just a milkman and that he didn't know what he was doing was actually magic. So I think he's like Hermione and, and this is a whole new world for him. And he said something like, oh, my classmates were telling me if I use a special chemical on the film, it'll make the pictures move. So apparently like the pictures are somewhat enchanted or whatever you would call that type of potion uh, to make the pictures. And that's why they move. They don't just move because of a special film or camera or something. I guess it's just a regular camera and film that they then enchant. So hey, that wasn't a mystery I was looking to solve, but hey, not asked but answered. I'll take it. And when Colin is asking for Harry's picture and his autograph, Malfoy hears it and he comes over with a big crowd and starts making fun of everybody. And it, it specifically said like fifth year Slytherin started to laugh really hard at certain things he said, but I... I is it like a prerequisite that all Slytherins need to be jerks? I don't get it. Like being ambitious, and I don't know, I consider myself to be a fairly ambitious person. That doesn't mean that you're an a-hole. It doesn't mean you're a jerk. I mean, usually if you're ambitious, you are focused on what you're doing and what you need and you don't really care about what other people are doing because it doesn't affect what you're trying to accomplish. But Lockhart kind of stumbles into the scene and he's like, well, Colin, I'll take a picture with you and Harry and we'll both sign it. 
And he really felt like he was covering for Harry and they have a little conversation while they're walking to class about it. Like, Harry, Harry, you're not really that famous. People are going to think you're so arrogant and big headed if you're trying to, you know, take pictures and give out autographs. Like, you need to stop this, son. But meanwhile, Lockhart is also talking himself up about how he is that famous that he needs to carry around a bunch of, like, autograph pictures to hand out. I, I don't know. There's just something about his vibe that I am totally digging. And I don't know what it is because I feel like he is not a character I'm supposed to like. But he's just one of those people that he's like so over the top. Like you just want to sit down and listen to what kind of weird stuff is going to fall out of his mouth next. But here is Lockhart's like formal Odysseus level introduction. Gilderoy Lockhart, Order of Merlin, third class, honorable member of the Dark Force Defense League, and then the five-time winner for the most charming smile bit. <laughs> you know, that just takes me right back to reading the Odyssey in high school. And he's like, I am Odysseus, son of, I don't know. And I did this great thing and that great thing. And here's, you know, here's the list of my achievements. And at the same time, it's also such a British thing to have all these titles and honors attached to your name. Like, I, I don't know, we don't really do that much in the United States, I guess, unless you're an actor that got nominated for awards. Uh, then they'll say stuff like five-time Golden Globe winner or five-time Emmy nominee. But yeah, other than that, we don't really, we don't really have titles like that. Like, I don't walk around going, I'm McGann, I have 7,000 vlogs and 32 podcasts and I've written five books and the, like, you know, we, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, we don't walk around with like achievements or titles or things like that attached to us. So it, it's, it's strange to look at it. And I mean, it also fits very well with his branding, if not for the fact that I think I've seen Dumbledore have a similar set of titles in the last book. Somebody did. I, I remember reading that Order of the Merlin thing before. So it's not just Lockhart doing it. It's very much part of the wizarding culture or maybe just British culture. But I, I just, I don't know. It's just so strange to be like, here's 5,000 titles. Here's why you should respect and love me. But then Lockhart starts his class and he decides to do a pop quiz on all five of his books. Apparently the kids were supposed to have already read and memorized them, which again, that is not how we do things in the United States. Teachers give us like chapter by chapter every night or week or whatever. But uh, nobody, nobody here in the US uh, works ahead like that. But the pop quiz he gives his students are on such petty, petty details. Uh, it is on page 100. Let me pull these out because I was a little bit drop jawed. I mean, and it fits his personality. So I kind of love it. But I, I still feel like maybe it's a little bit too on the nose. Okay, question number one, what is Gilderoy Lockhart's favorite color? Question number two, what is Gilderoy Lockhart's secret ambition? Question number three, what, in your opinion, is Gilderoy Lockhart's greatest achievement to date? So that's not even in the book. That's that's subjective. That's just tell me why you love me. And they said it went on for three sides of paper, with the last question being number 54, when is Gilderoy Lockhart's birthday and what would be his ideal gift? And he is so disappointed in that none of the students really have all of the answers. And he complains going like, oh, well, in a year with the Yeti, I said my favorite color is lilac. 
And in Wandering with Werewolves, I stated in Chapter 12 that my ideal birthday gift would be harmony between all magical and non-magical people. Though I wouldn't say no to a large bottle of Ogden's Old Fire Whiskey. Like, is he asking his students to buy him alcohol? His minor underage 12-year-old students to go out and give him alcohol as a gift? Is the UK totally different? Do they let minors buy alcohol there? That's that's wild. The conceited self-righteousness is is beautiful. I don't know how to describe it, but it is fabulously fantastic. Although I would like to point out that the idea of making harmony between all magical and non-magical people, that kind of implies that there's a known rift between them, like, you know, the Hatfields and the McCoys, where if you are not familiar with that reference, uh, I'm related to the Hatfield clan, and uh, it was a very famous feud where, like, one spark just sent them killing each other and all these weird attacks, and it, it was just insane levels of two Civil War vets just going at each other and their entire families. I mean, they they burnt everything to the ground that they could. But yeah, this idea that, you know, having that kind of relationship between magical and non-magical folk, it doesn't really work when the non-magical folk don't know you exist. I mean, I don't know, the only analogy I can really think of is what if humans said, oh, we just want peace with the fish. Like, fish have 10 second memories and they have no idea what's going on up here. What happens on dry land is so far outside of what they could comprehend as fish. So I don't know, it's a weird way to say that. I wish there were peace among magic and non-magical folk, but... I mean, the magical folk would have to speak up and let people know that they exist. You know, let the muggles know, like, we're here, this is what we do, wrap your head around it, and then let's talk. But they don't want to do that. So I I don't know. Such a weird, like, PC, I'm going out to be Miss America kind of answer. But of course, our Miss Hermione, who is never one to fail a test, aced the whole thing, which got her another 10 points for Gryffindor. And if you are not keeping track, that means that Hermione in one day, all by herself, has gained 30 points for her house. How do we not celebrate her more? The book acts like she's barely tolerable because she's such a know-it-all, but she has got some great strengths. And then the chapter ends with Lockhart deciding to release Cornish pixies who go and destroy everything all over the room. They pick up Neville by the ears and get him stuck up on the ceiling chandelier. And then everybody runs out of the classroom and Lockhart runs up and locks the door to leave in Harry, Ron, and Hermione to clean up the mess. Which they can because Hermione knows how to freeze the fairies uh, with some kind of charm spell. So she's competent. So it's not that the trio can't do it, but it's just kind of a dick move to be the adult in charge that let those pixies go and then peace out. But Ron starts saying that he thinks Lockhart is a fraud and he hasn't really done all those things. He's just saying it for attention because he seemed to have no idea what he was doing or how to control these Cornish pixies. So those are my notes. I think this was a pretty fun chapter to go over. It wasn't super long. Definitely wasn't feeling the length like I did with the Burroughs and some of the others. The next chapter is called Mudbloods and Murmurs, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested. 
I believe I still know what mudblood means from the movies, but uh, I, I'd be, I'll be curious to know the full context that they give in the book. I will definitely say that I see, especially from what I can remember from the second movie, which granted isn't much because I haven't seen it since it was new, but from what I can piece together from when I saw the original movie and what I'm reading in the books, I feel like there are a lot more dots that connect, whereas the movie, it did a lot of these same things, but but it maybe didn't explain as well that, oh yeah, A is because of B is because of C. Like there wasn't a line of logic that I remember drawing when watching the movie. But uh, again, maybe that's just because I haven't seen it in a while. But I kind of think I should start doing like a book versus movie thing when I finish one of the books. I think that might be interesting to add into this giant project. Anyways, guys, I'm going to thank you for watching and listening to me ramble on about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Don't forget to subscribe and check back to see the new episodes every single week. Anyways, I'm really gonna go this time, so thank you again so much for listening to me go on and on and on, and we'll see you next time. Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self, and I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, hey, McGann, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the About tab on my channel page, and my most current P.O. Box info will be right there. I also run another channel, The Family. It's really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Oh yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos like you helps to tell the site, hey, this is a good video. We should recommend it to other people. So if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, hey, I made it to the end. Love ya. See you next time, family members. Bye.